Um, I am um, not a uh, camper or hiker. Any of you guys like like hiking? That's your thing? That's fine. You're weird. That's weird. <laughs> Stupid. Why would you like that? I hate it. Um, Erica kind of likes it, so I kind of do it sometimes because she kind of likes it. Um, and there was this time where um, a buddy of mine, um, there, he was actually part of our, our um, small group at the time, um, he had just gone on this backpacking trip in like mountains somewhere in Kentucky or something like that. And he was like, it was awesome. And he was telling me all about it. I was like, ah, it sounds great. And I was being polite, um, just acting like I was like interested about it. And he was telling me all about it. He was like, seriously, I think you'd love it. You should go. And instead of being honest and saying, listen, man, that's not my thing. I'm not doing that. I don't care what you say. I was like, yeah, I mean, that'd probably be cool to do. Maybe I'll do that. Um, and so he's like, oh, you're interested? He's one of those friends that, like, if you give him anything, he's going to go. I was like, yeah, yeah, I mean, maybe. Instead of just saying no, I was like, maybe. Well, what, like, when is it? And he's like, uh, I'll, I'll find out. And then next time he was over, he was like, hey, pull up your calendar. Do you have this weekend open? And I was like, Erica, do we have this weekend open? Like, please say no. And she's like, yeah, it's completely open. I'm like, dang it. Like, oh, it's, and I was like, well, how much does it cost? <laughs> and he was like, ah, it's like this much. He's like, oh, I don't got that. I don't have that money. I'm a pastor. I don't have a lot of money, so I can't be paying that. He's like, what if I, maybe I can pay, pay it for you. I was like, no, no, you can't do that. And then the next week he came back and said, oh, by the way, I paid it. So I already have your stuff. I was like, oh, Danny, I don't, the thing is, I, you need a lot of equipment. I don't have any, I'm not, you're not going to be buying all this stuff for me so I can go hiking even though I'd love to go. I'm being, I'm lying. Like, I'd love to go, but like, I just don't have the stuff. And, and I think we might actually have something going on, Erica. He's like, no, no, still open. It's like, okay, thanks, Erica. And so he was like, oh, like, you need a backpack. You need like a ton of stuff. And then that following week, all of a sudden, I was getting Amazon shipments. I was like, what is this? I open it. It's a backpack. I'm like, oh, no. So at this point, my friend has spent hundreds of dollars on me to go, to go hiking. So I was like, okay, I can't, I'm stuck. I have to go. So we go on this trip, we go away to Kentucky, and we get there at 9 o'clock at night. They give you all your stuff that you need. They gave me a bag that was just a little grocery bag that had like seven things in it, and, I was, and it was food. I was like, oh, is this like our snack for a night? He said, no, this is your food for the weekend. It's like, this is not enough. It was one Snickers bar. It was like a Slim Jim. It was, some, it was nothing. I was like, this is not enough. And then we got all of our stuff in our backpack, and then it was 9 o'clock at night, so I was like, okay, where are we going to sleep like tonight so we can start hiking tomorrow? Like, no, no, no. The hiking starts right now. Four hours in of hiking in the dark while it's raining, we stop somewhere, and they're like, and it's a big field, and like, okay, can we get in our cabins now? And they're like, okay, time to put, get your tent, put your tent up. It's like, we gotta do that now. So we put our tent up. It's like one o'clock in the morning at this point, and this whole time, like, why did I agree to do this dumb trip? I hate hiking. It's all this is. And then um, they woke us up at four in the morning, to exercise. I'm like, what's happening? Are we going to hike? Is it hiking exercising? We have to do jumpy jacks, all this stuff. And they're like, and it was like a, it was like a Christian thing. So every time we're doing it, they're like, you're doing this for Jesus. And I'm like, why? Why is push-ups doing this? And so I'm doing it. And then they give you a little radar thing. And they say, okay, um, you're just going to follow this to your points. And then when you get to your destination that you're going to be at, then you're, we're done. Then you can, you can camp. And I was like, okay. And no, no guides are going to bring it. It's just like me and like four other guys. I've never done this either. They're like, yeah, just go ahead and do it. And we're like, okay, we're looking at this. We're going the worst path possible. Um, that started at like 7 in the morning around uh, midnight that night we got to our destination. We were hiking the whole time. And the whole time I'm there, I'm like, how do I get out of this? I am stuck 
in these terrible woods, and this, I hated it. I was so grumpy the whole time. And then, uh, I, I forgot to mention this, at one point they give you a shovel. And like, what is this shovel for? He said, well, if you need to go number two, you got to dig a hole. I was like, I'm not going number two. I'm not being that guy walking out from the woods with that shovel. Everyone knows what I did. Um, we go to bed that night, and then they woke us up at, at 2 in the morning that night because um, the story of Jesus when he's praying and his disciples are there, and he's praying, and the disciples kept falling asleep. They wanted to tell us that story. It's like, I'm a pastor. I know this story. I go back to bed. They're like, all right, now we want you to all go separately and pray for an hour. It's like, and we had just hiked all day. It's like an hour, and I'm like trying not to fall asleep, trying to get into it. Then we wake up the next day, and we have to make a raft. It was terrible, but I was stuck at this dumb trip all because I was not willing to tell my friend, no, I don't want to do that. I'm not doing that. I was stuck that whole time. We ended up hiking like 35 miles that whole weekend, which isn't as much as I thought it was going to be because it felt like I was hiking for a year, Um, but I was stuck. We have all felt stuck before. You've been in an awkward situation. Maybe you're in a conversation that you felt stuck in, and you're like, how do I get out of this awkward conversation? How do I find my way out of this? You felt stuck. Maybe you were stuck in a job you hate. Maybe it was a relationship that you're in that you don't want to be in anymore. We've all felt stuck before. And I find that there are a lot of people that also would use the word stuck when it comes to their faith, that they will use the word stuck when it comes to their relationship with God. See, some of us that are here, we, we have, have a faith in God and a relationship with God that is constantly growing and we are learning more and we are changing and we are adapting and we are just understanding him in a more real way as the years go by and we look back at our old at ourselves a year ago or five years ago or ten years ago like man I'm not that person anymore I'm closer to God now than I ever was that's some of us in this room but then there's other others of us in this room that would say when I look back at my faith when I look back at my relationship with God it looks exactly the same from a year ago, five years ago, ten years ago, nothing's changed. It's the same thing. Or it might even be a little worse. Maybe for you, you're like, I've given the same amount of money away. I read the same amount of the Bible. I pray the same amount. My faith is exactly the same. And everything else in your life has probably grown. Maybe your understanding of yourself has grown. Maybe uh, your, your finances have grown. Maybe you have grown because we've eaten too much food and we get older and metabolism, right? We've all grown in other ways, but when it comes to our faith, we think, I, I don't know if it's grown at all. And you might feel the way I felt when I was camping. Well, I'm in this now. I've been doing this for a while. I grew up this way. I'm not going to change my faith now. So even if I'm not even sure if I believe it anymore, I'm in it. I'm stuck. This is my faith from here on out. You're simply stuck. And it isn't from a lack of desire. In fact, you probably want your faith to grow. It just hasn't. You've had every intention of learning more about God, but then time gets away from you. Like, I I would like to read more. I'd like to pray more, but I just find myself running out of time. Or you have every desire to depend on God more, but then storms come in in your life that make you think and make it harder for you to depend on God more. And then one day, you're thinking, one day, I'll finally get unstuck. I'll grow. Once the kids are out of the house, once I have a better job, once I'll finally get to that point. One day, I will be closer to my creator. But then one day leads to two days. Two days leads to five days. Five days leads to a month, then years. And before you know it, you're stuck in this faith that you've had for a long time that hasn't changed in years. That's some of us. 
Some of us in this room or some of us at home feel that way. We feel stuck. And when you first get stuck, there's a question that a lot of us ask. It's a question I asked when I was hiking. I was there, and I was stuck. I was like, okay, well, now what? Now that we're here, now what do we do? And for some of us, that's our question. I'm stuck in this faith. Now what? I've committed a lot of time to this faith, and I'm stuck in what do I do about it now? I've lived my life however I wanted for a long time, and I still don't feel satisfied. Now what do I do? Now what? Um, I've been reading, um, actually just finished a book by Chris Hodges, uh, which is called What's Next? In this book, he asks the question, what's next? When it comes to your spiritual maturity and when you get to the point where you feel stuck, what could come next? What is next so that your faith can live and grow and do amazing things? So throughout this series, I'm going to be adapting a lot of that book to what we're going to talk about today. And I believe that there's four steps that if you feel that way, you feel stuck, or maybe you're like right on the edge, like I'm not sure if that's me. There's going to be four steps I think can help us as the four, in the next four weeks to get to a point where we are actually living a vibrant faith that is growing and changing rather than being in a stuck faith. And here's step one we're going to be talking about today. Step one is this. We need to know God. Know God. I say that, and I know what a lot of you probably think. Okay, got that one. What's number two? I know God. I'm, I'm here. I'm at church. I'm watching church when I'm at home. I know God. I'm good. Let's go. Let's move to the next one. What's step number two? But notice I didn't say um, we need to believe in God. I didn't say we need to obey God. I didn't say we need to trust God. I said we need to know God. If we are stuck in our faith and we're asking that question, now what do we do? The first step has to be to know God. In, um, in uh, John, uh, he, John records Jesus when he's going and he's praying right before he's crucified and the disciples are falling asleep. Here's what Jesus prays to his father right before he is about to do the hardest thing he ever is going to do. In John chapter 17, starting in verse 1. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life. Catch this part. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That they know you. This is eternal life. That they know you. The Greek word uh, that is here for know is a word called gnosko. In fact, that word is, uh, appears over 200 times, 204 times in the New Testament alone. Um, a lot of times Jesus, when he says, no, you need to know God, you need to know me, he used that word, gnosko. And uh, this is a word that the Jewish audience or the Jewish people that are there would know this word. They would understand this word. Here's what that word translates to, gnosko. It means to know intimately. It was actually a Jewish idiom for sexual intercourse. So if they were, some of you perked up really quick. So if you're in the Jewish culture, I saw you, <laughs> oh. Um, in the Jewish culture, if they were talking about the process of making a baby, but they don't want to like use certain words, they would use the word gnosko. That's, that's when you know somebody. And this is the word that Jesus uses to describe how our faith should be. What does that mean? We should know God, as in we should have a personal, intimate relationship with him. That's the type of, of relationship we should have, that we know him intimately, that we love him, that we are pursuing him. That's the relationship we should be in. For a lot of us to respond, well, yeah, I, I know him. Uh, we could be closer probably. I could probably spend more time with him. Uh, I could probably read more. Uh, but I'm here at church, so I must know him. But here's what I would say to you. Be careful with that attitude. Because here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. 
Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? He's basically saying this, uh, God, I, I went to church a lot. I read the Bible a lot. I prayed your name a lot. I identified with you when people asked me what my faith was. Uh, I did that. I did that. And you know the word that scares me the most in this passage we just read? Many. Wasn't some. Wasn't few. It was many people. Many people who are saying, yes, Lord, we're here, prophesying your name, that are driving out demons. At the end of the day, Jesus says, I don't know if I know you. Many. We just had um, our Easter celebration, and I love Easter. Um, it, it was an awesome celebration. It, the weather was perfect outside for us. Uh, we had a good group of people there. That was great. Um, and whenever there's a, um, I talked about this a little bit in family service, but whenever there's a group of people, it's, it's kind of nice because we went through a whole year of pandemic where nobody was coming, right? We had a whole season where we would, we were finally open and maybe five other people would show up. Like, so when there's people there, it's like, this feels good. Like, I, I, I like it. It's not the most important thing. In fact, I don't think God cares at all about the number of people. He cares about more of the heart. That's what we're going to talk about today. But I also understand what Easter's like. I understand because I see the same people every Easter and every Christmas Eve. That's the only time I see them. Every year that happens. Every year I see them like, oh, hey, it's nice to see you. We'd love to see you back. Yeah, yeah, we'll be back. And that means we'll be back in December. That's what it means. And here's my worry for people like that. And here's my worry for all of us. That those people are thinking, hey, I believe in God, and I go to church on Easter and on Christmas. I'm good. I know him. I'm set. I understand. I, I did it. I'm good to go. That is my worry. That is my worry. But it doesn't just stop there. I also believe that there are people here, and there are people watching from home who would say, yeah, I know God. I'm here. I'm good to go. But my worry is that Jesus could say this in verse 23. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew. There's that word again, gnosko. I never knew you. Away from me, evildoers. But Jesus, I preached your word constantly. That's awesome. Did you know me? But Jesus, I never missed church ever. Good, good. I'm glad you did that. But do you know me? But Jesus, I told people about you all the time. Good, you should do that. But do you know me? Like, do you have an intimate, personal relationship with me? Do you have that? Or do you think faith is about the wrong conditions? Do you think that it's about how good you are? See, it's very easy for us to get religion and relationship mixed up. See, God isn't looking for a religion. He's looking for a relationship. That's what he's looking for. That is why many of us feel stuck. We have been doing this church thing for a long time. We've been serving for a long time. We have heard the sermons. We know the responses. We know the difference between the tithe and the offering. We have a stance when it comes to predestination. You have your worship playlist. You have all that stuff, but yet our lives hasn't changed at all over the past year, two years, five years. Maybe because we're really focused on the religion aspect and not the relationship aspect. Maybe we feel stuck because we have been following a religion. So really quickly, I'm going to give you some differences between religion and relationship. You can write these down in your notes if you want to. Religion is this. Religion is rules you follow. 
I have to do this. I got to make sure I do this. I got to be a good Christian person. Good Christians don't watch this. They don't say this. They don't drink this. I'm good here. Rules you follow. That's what religion is. But relationships are boundaries that protect. You, be, you are careful about how you live and what you do, not because it's just rules you're trying to check off, but because you know that a loving God loves you and says, this is the best way to keep you safe. So we're going to make sure we have boundaries in our life, not because we are better, not because we're trying to be good enough, but because we know that God loves us and the boundaries are a sign of love. Religion is I have to. I have to serve. I have to give. I have to go to church. I have to read the Bible. I have to do that. But relationship is I get to. It is my privilege to serve. It is my privilege to read. It is my privilege to get to know more. It's my privilege to go to church. It's a di- it's difference. Religion is all about fear. Fear of not measuring up. What if I don't reach that level? What if I don't make to that cut? What if I'm not good enough? Fear of not measuring up. But relationship, it's about freedom. Freedom because you have been forgiven. Freedom because you are set free from what you've done because of what he has done. That's what relationship is. And the last one, religion is about judgment. Judgment comes when I sin. It comes when you sin. Religion is all about judging sin. But relationship, relationship is about mercy. Mercy. Mercy covers me when I sin. Even when I fall short, mercy covers me. If God were right here, and let's say he had this door right here, and you open that door, and through the door is eternity. It's heaven. Let's say that happens. And you're looking through it, and maybe you see all the relatives that you know or whatever you picture heaven looking like or being like. For me, it'd be like a perfect spring day where we're cooking out and playing whoopah ball. That's, what, that's heaven for me, right? Whatever heaven is for you. And God is here. He's like, hey, so you're about to go through this door. You're about to go into heaven. You're like, oh, snap. All right, let's do it. He goes, okay, I just have one question. You get this question right. It's kind of like the troll under the bridge almost. This is a weird analogy. I'm sorry. But but he says, do you get this question right? You're going in. Okay, here's the question. The question is, um, why should you go in? Why should you come in here? What would your answer be? Maybe your answer may be, well, like, I was baptized, so I should go in. Or maybe uh, I, I tried really hard to be good, and I think I was pretty good. Or maybe it was like, hey, I, that book that you, that you um, inspired, I read it. I read it multiple times, actually. I know all the stories. I read that. Or maybe it's like, hey, I went to Impact every week. And they, he would go, yep, you're in. You're good to go. Go ahead in. <laughs> None of those answers are going to get you in. What's the answer? I wasn't perfect, but I was in love. Jesus was my friend. I have a relationship with him. That's the only answer getting you in. And I tell you that not to scare you, but Jesus just talked about it in Matthew. That day is going to come. Because why should you get in here? That judgment is going to come. And we need to stand in front of God and plead our case. And I promise you, religion will not get you in. Only a relationship will. Jesus also says it this way in Matthew chapter 15, a story that you may recognize. Pharisees and the, and the church people try to trick him, and they say, Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. So here's what was happening. At the temple, so it, I was a church at the time, 
um, when you walked in, before you went in, you had to wash your hands, but you had to wash them a specific way. You had to wash them like this, and the water had to drip off your elbows. You could not let it drip off here. So that's like if you came into church, and my dad was sitting there and make, making sure you wash your hands right, and if it dripped off there, you go, you're going to hell. Get out of here, hell right away. That's what it was like, okay? So they're saying like this, and they have to do it. That's what the Pharisees would do. They were making sure they were watching everything. That's how Jesus replies in verse 3. Jesus replied, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? The command of God is love God and love others. That the command of God. He gives an example of that and skipping down to verse 6. Jesus says, thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your traditions. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips. They do good things. They have the religion. But their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Telling you, God is not looking for your actions. He's looking for your heart. God isn't looking for religion. He's looking to be in a relationship with you. Let me give you another example. Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells this parable. Parable is just a a story that Jesus would tell to make a point. It's a made-up story. And this parable kind of really hits um, this point home. Matthew 25, starting at verse 1. At the time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. It's like a a group of people um, who have worked hard their entire life to be pure. To do everything they can so that their good outweighs their bad. If they have this scale, it's like, I'm trying to be pure, so I have enough in the good, so that goes down. And then if I'm there, then I'm good to go. Those ten virgins. He continues on in verse 2. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. Verse 6. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Hey, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. Verse 9. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us and, and you. Instead, go to those who sell and buy some for yourself. Go to the church more. Memorize more. Get more. Be a better person. Verse 10. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to do the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. And notice what this last verse says. But he replied, truly, I tell you, not that you weren't pure enough. Truly, I tell you, not that you weren't virgin enough. Truly, I tell you, no, it's not because you didn't have enough oil. Truly, I tell you, I didn't know, Gnosko, I didn't know you. So let me ask you a question. Do you know, Gnosko, God? Do you know him? Are you in love with him? Are you in a relationship with him where you are growing with him? Because if you feel stuck, that first step has to be to be in that intimate relationship where you actually know God. That is the first step. If you don't learn this first step, the rest of this series is going to be a waste of your time. You have to hit this first step. It has to be our goal that we are trying to do. It simply won't matter the rest of this. And I know you may be thinking, you might be thinking, but if I do this, that means all the things that I've been learning that I'm supposed to do, I need to now start doing, I guess. Like, 
if I do this, then um, I need to maybe not watch what I'm supposed to be watching, or I may need to start like giving money to church, or I might need to start serving now. If I do this, then that means I'm going to have to actually commit to a church. It means I'm going to have to actually do more things. If, if I do this, that means I'm going to have a lot of different rules that are going to be placed on me. I don't know if I want to do all that. That's a lot to commit to. I'm not sure if I can do that. And that's some of our attitudes. And if that's your attitude, that's why you're stuck. Because that's our attitude. I've been married for 10 years. It'll be 10 years in August. Um, you know what I never think about in our marriage? I never wake up. I never ask myself this question. I never go, how am I going to be faithful to my wife today? I've never asked it. I've never thought about that question. Instead, there's a question that um, I heard another pastor say a long time ago. I have it written up on my board. I look at this question every day. I remind myself not only with my wife, with my family, with my friends. The question I ask myself is, what does love require of me? Today, what does love require of me? That's the question I ask. See, I don't focus on being faithful with my wife. Instead, I focus on being in love with my wife. That's the difference. When I am in love with her, the result I'm going to be faithful. Instead of focusing on being good and being faithful, focus on getting back in love with your Savior. Then you don't have to be faithful. You get to be faithful. That's the difference. And when you begin to enter into that relationship with God, you have access to the power of God, the power that frees you from the chains of sin and addiction and brokenness, the power that gives that gets you through the worst storms in life, the power that can set you free. Here's how Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, I want to know, the same Greek word, I want to know, gnosko, Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. So how do we do this? How do we get to a point if we are like, hey, I, I want to start to know God more. I want to move closer to that. How do we do this? There's gonna be, I'm going to give you three easy ways, three easy steps to do that that we're going to close. Number one, love him because he loved you. Love him because he loved you. God is not waiting for you to behave before he accepts you. Can I say it again? God is not waiting for you to behave before he accepts you. In fact, I would argue that it's impossible to get your act together until you go to him first. We love him because he loved us first. That's the only reason we are able to love him. He simply wants you. With all your mess, with all your brokenness, with all your sin, he simply wants you. He wants you so much that he died for the chance that you will turn to him, for the chance that you will come to him. He doesn't want your good behavior. He doesn't want your works. He doesn't want your oil. He wants you. First John says, we love because he first loved us. So the first step, we need to work on loving him and understand that we can only do it because he loved us. Number two, we need to pursue him with all of our heart. Pursue him with all my heart. Um, if you're married or in a relationship, do you remember when you first pursued your spouse? Um, I've told you how I met Erica before, but I met her at, we had a housewarming party at my house, and she came, and I noticed her, and I spit whatever game I had, and it kind of worked. And we went on a date, and things were going well, and um, I really liked her. And so um, I was trying to be a good um, potential boyfriend, we were at the end of the time, and she was really, um, she was uh, in school and she was really busy and stressed. So I was like, I'm going to be like this awesome dude who sends her a care package 
because I'm showing her I'm pursuing her, even though she's really stressed. So I sent her like a CD and a car and all this other stuff. But we had only gone on like one date, and it was way too much for the for that early. And Erica got it, and she didn't see. She didn't go. Oh, that's awesome. That's really nice. He's pursuing me. She went. Who is this creep? That's what she thought. So it ended, and then we eventually got back together uh, a couple weeks later. But I pursued her. You remember when you pursued somebody? Pursue him with all your heart. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. God wants you to pursue him. He wants you to do that. He wants you to go after him. And if you do, what's awesome is it says, you will find him. If you pursue him, you will find him. And I'll make you a promise today, and here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. If this is you and you feel like you're kind of stuck and and you want to get to know God more, here's what I want to ask you to do. Over the next year, the rest of 2021, I want you to pursue him intentionally. And I'm going to give you practical ways to do that. Here's how I want you to do it. I want you to come to church regularly, yep, and I want you to hear the sermon and then apply it, okay? So not just hear it, apply it. I don't know if you guys even know, but on the back of your impact cards, there are literally ways to apply it. There's one word that says apply that's for you to apply it. I don't make those up for no reason. They're, they're for you. So for the next year, here's what I want you to do. For the, next, for the, next, the rest of this year, when you say, you know what, I want to know God, so I'm going to start doing that. I'm going to start actually applying what's going on. And then I want to also encourage you to serve and to give. Serve and give. Then I want to ask you to join a community. Then I want to ask you to start working on some spiritual disciplines. And over the next year, if you pursue all of those things, I promise you, you will know God more. At the end of that year, if you're like, I don't know God anymore, I did all of it. If you do that, then I'll say, okay, fine, fine. I'll give you, we'll give you your tithes back that you gave. We, I get it. You do your thing. But I promise you that won't happen because you are pursuing him. And now when I say all that stuff, some of you immediately go, well, I'm not doing all that. That's a lot of stuff. I'm not doing all of that. And you know why? You don't know him. Because it's not a burden if you know him. As your pastor, with all the love I have in my heart, don't complain to me that you are stuck and you're not growing in your faith if you are unwilling to pursue him. Because that is what you need to do. That's what it takes. Number two, pursue him. And then number three, the last one, commit your life to him. All relationships require commitment. Whether it's your marriage, whether it's a sports team, a club, jobs, all of it requires commitment. And some of you are waiting until you fully understand who God is more so that you can fully commit. And I promise you, you don't need to do that. I committed to having kids before I understood what it meant to have kids, <laughs> right? No one knows. We took classes, and it was silly. Like, the classes taught us stuff that were like, it didn't make sense. I didn't know, but you commit. And I'm not saying you have to commit to this church. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying commit to him. Because that's what you need to commit to. Commit your life to him. I'm going to close with this. Um, have you ever been into a major fight with someone that you love? Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a spouse, whatever. Erica and I never fight. We're perfect. We absolutely never fight, ever. Let's just imagine that possibly we would fight one day. Now, of course we fight. But let's say we have, we're having a major fight. We've had plenty of major fights. And we're fighting, and we're fighting about who knows what. And then at one point, I ask Erica this question. I say, Erica, do you even love me? Maybe I ask that because I don't feel like 
I'm loved. I don't even feel like maybe she loves me. So do you even love me? Maybe you've asked that question before. Maybe you've asked that. So in the midst of fights, I say, do you really love me? And what if she replied with, Eric, of course I do. I do the dishes. Of course I love you, Eric. I take care of the bills. Of course I love you. I help put the kids to bed. Of course I love you. I cut the grass. Of course I love you. She doesn't, by the way. Of course I love you. I cook the meals. Of course I do that. I would say, no, no, I didn't ask you what you do for me. I asked, do you love me? That's the difference. See, God is saying to some of you right now, do you love me? You might say, of course I do. I go to church once a month. Of course I do. I only listen to Hillsong, Elevation, and Bethel exclusively. Of course I do. No, no, no. I'm not asking what you do for me. Do you love me? Do you know me? You feel stuck. Maybe it's because we missed that first step. Maybe it's because we have to go back to that first step to know God. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you that you are the God that first loved us, that poured out your grace and mercy on us. And because of that love you have given us, we now have the privilege to be in a relationship with you. Dear God, we know that you want us to pursue you. And when we do, you are there. You are ready. Dear God, I pray for the people that are in this room and the people that are watching from home. The people that feel stuck, that, that want to get to know you more, that understand that, that they haven't been pursuing, that they've missed that first step. Dear God, I pray that you give them the community around them, the accountability, the drive, and convict them Take the steps necessary to get to know you. To not try to do a bunch of good things. To not try to be pure, but to know you. And thank you for giving us the opportunity to even know you. Even when we don't deserve it and we've fallen short and when we are sinful and when we're a mess, that you still want us exactly as we are. Dear God, I pray that you remind us of that love. Help us to know you more. In your son's name, amen. Let's sing this closing song together. I invite you to stand and sing.